right, welcome everyone. Good to see the chambers full and all the energy out there. Uh, we're gonna reconvene for our third and final day of our March budget workshop. And I'm gonna go right to our county administrator, Matthew Heimel, to give us a preview of the day. All right, well, uh, good afternoon, supervisors, and thank you for all your attention these last two days on our informational budget uh, workshops. So yeah, just to go over this last afternoon, uh, what we like to call our wrap-up session, um, we are gonna have the library uh, present a continuous improvement uh, initiative that they're working on. We also wanted to provide the parks an opportunity to talk about their fee reduction program with a racial equity lens. And then uh, we are gonna invite Benita up, uh, Dr. McLaren to talk about a couple of items on the HHS work plan. Uh, our fire chief to talk about a couple items on the fire work plan, and then the CAO and the IST department was gonna provide an update on the development of our new county website. So that's the plan for this, th this afternoon, and then after that, we would take general public comments, and then I will go over a list of follow-up items based on what we've heard these last three days. And then finally, we would end with closing comments. And I just want to, again, remind the public that we're not making any policy decisions here today. Good. I need to take roll. So, Manisha, if you would, and also read how people can participate remotely. If you are joining us today, you want the roll call or is there? Okay. Supervisor Moulton-Peters? Supervisor Rodoni? Present. Supervisor Sackett? Here. Supervisor Lucan? Here. Supervisor Rice? Here. And if you are joining us today on Zoom and would like to participate, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by landline, press star nine to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, your name will be called. After your name is called, you'll be prompted to unmute your device. Or if you're participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions, and I will pass the meeting back to Supervisor Milton Peters. Thank you very much. I'm going to turn it over to our Intrepid Library staff. Welcome. Good afternoon, Supervisors. You can hear me. Great. Uh, I'm Lana Lowen, Director of County Library Services, and I'd like to introduce our Deputy Director of County Library Services, Ramona Little-Taylor, and our 2022 Library Employee of the Year, our Learning Bus Coordinator, Alejandra Cruz. We are also joined in board chambers by members of our Finance, Accounting, and Human Resources team members, and they are in the second row behind us. Um, so Jose Rodas, <coughs> Leiching Chen, Diana Barrera, Ahmed Murad, and Leslie Galliani, who worked incredibly hard with all of our library managers to bring a, to bring a proposed budget before the board. Um, our entire library team was excited by the opportunity this year to look at our budget through a racial equity lens and align our goals in response. The library's mission is to provide welcoming, equitable, and inclusive opportunities for all to connect, learn, and explore. And our four strategic goals support this mission in creating an accessible and enriching environment for our community members of all ages. We thank the board for the opportunity to share our continuous improvement focus for this coming fiscal year. Um, our work focuses on an external indicator, which is the educational success of students in Marin County 
through a racial equity lens. Education equity is a priority for the Marin County Free Library. You can see on this slide that the data for Marin County students shows a large opportunity gap between white students and students of color. This progress report from the Marin Promise Partnership highlights the educational disparities across key milestones, K-readiness, third grade literacy, eighth grade math, and college and career readiness. It is important to note that third grade literacy has one of the largest gaps at 38%. The library focuses our efforts to close the literacy gap. In light blue, you can see that almost 76% of white third graders are meeting the literacy milestone, but only 38% of students of colors are meeting that standard. The library uses this data to guide us in identifying and prioritizing our school partnerships, programs, and services. The Marin County Free Library wants every child to reach their full potential. Our response to help close the opportunity gap is to focus our library services and programs on expanding opportunities to help students reach their potential in key areas, which we call our education equity initiatives. We work closely with students, families, school districts, and community partners on the following goals. We increase kindergarten readiness and third grade literacy success through the Learning Bus Program, Story Times, Reading Buddies, which provides one-on-one -on -one reading support for TK to third graders, and Homework Help, where teens provide free homework assistance to students in grades 3 through 12. We also celebrate and honor the cultural identity of our students by developing multilingual, culturally responsive programming to increase the sense of belonging. Our South Nevada Library launched our first bilingual cohort of Reading Buddies in January. We are tracking and capturing our impact on the Compass portal, and you are welcome to visit our page to learn more. Building off the needs that uh, Ramona shared, the following two slides outline our goals in response for the next fiscal year. So we have a deep and long-standing partnership with the Sausalito Marin City School District and our embedded staff in their school libraries. We are adding staff to our Marin City Library to support seven-day-a-week service uh, and, and to increase programming. We are investing and in revitalizing our makerspace on our South Novato campus, as well as establishing one in Marin City. We will start to design and build a new outreach vehicle for West Marin uh, to more easily reach residents and communities in remote locations. And South Novato is, an, is the location that is seeing an increase in circulation and programming. Um, we'd like to support this fiscal year with additional staffing there and look to, at expanding open hours in the future. As the board has heard so far in these budget workshops, we also need to invest in our staff um, actively working towards racial equity. Uh, we align support in our budget for ongoing training and resources in our three educational equity areas of West Marin, Novato, and Marin City. And we have had an internal racial equity alliance for several years, made up of staff from across our library system. We have allocated ongoing funding for this group to receive training as well as bring additional training and development for our entire staff. And finally, we're happy to focus in a little deeper on one improvement this year, which is the increase in staffing and services for our revolutionary mobile uh, preschool vehicle, the Learning Bus. Uh, and we'll increase their weekly stops by 43% this next year. So we wanted to bring this service to light for the board. So we're going to share a, a brief video that we did in partnership with the Exploratorium about this service. Where is that we're going to go? Do you think it might need a more glue now that it fell apart? Children are natural tinkers. If you give children materials, they will start to create. 
it's part of building a growth mindset with young children and thinking about how they can experiment and play and you know try new things and so those are all concepts that are core values in libraries the traditional model of just learning happening through books is now much more expansive um, to include play and tinkering and learning. The Learning Bus is a free drop-in, zero to five preschool program through Marin County Free Library. We go all around Marin County and we offer free preschool experiences to families and children who wouldn't have it otherwise. It's literally a bus. It serves children from the ages of zero to five and their families. We park the bus. We have different areas of activities kids can do. And then parents, families, caregivers come with their children. Okay, how do you wanna do it? We really see in certain areas of the county a great <laughs> educational disparity. So there's a huge gap depending on where you live and race and ethnicity, income. One of my favorite parts of the learning bus is seeing how the parents interact with their child or children. We want to show adults how children are learning through play and how they can also provide those experiences to them in their home. During the early years, that really is a time that some caregivers experience a lot of isolation. We provide an opportunity to meet other caregivers and families um, is really important. Some of our communities are also very remote. They may not have a store that's close to them that they could go to buy a lot of things. We focus our programs in meeting the families where they are and helping to disrupt those systemic inequities. We can't do that by staying inside our library branches. We have to go out to the community and meet them where they are. a little bit more about this uh, program, I wanted to introduce uh, Alejandro Cruz, um, who is not only an incredibly uh, experienced early childhood educator, but also a very successful vehicle operator, which is hard <laughs> to find in one staff person. So, Ali, please take it from there. Thank you, Lona. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for having us and learning about the Learning Bus. Um, when children first come to the Learning Bus, um, it is often their first experience in a preschool setting. Sometimes this is their only experience before entering school. Currently, we serve children as young as a few weeks old, two weeks, the youngest, um, and children that will be in kindergarten this fall. Some families have been attending the program for years with their growing children. An example of that is a family in Canal with a four-year-old child who has been growing with the program. Uh, but after being away with COVID, um, due to COVID, needed some extra support um, by parenting with the child's parent and engaging in creative ways, we now see so much growth in this child, um, social, emotionally, and academically. This child plays, shares, knows their ABCs, and loves books. I feel confident that this family's experience on the learning bus has set up this child for success. And the cycle continues as the family just welcome a two-month-old baby. Um, and they just had their first visit this Monday. Um, the learning bus is making a difference in children's lives. 90% of the brain develops in the first years of life. By regularly attending our program, children exercise their brain and grow. Um, centering families is essential to the success of our work and its impact in the community. Um, it is important that we connect, listen, engage, support, and empower families. When we prioritize this, we are provided with meaningful insight to create equitable, accessible, and impactful services. 
The Learning Bus actively collaborates with community partners to provide dynamic services where they are needed most. Through our collective work, we can begin to fill the different gaps and meet the constantly evolving needs of our community. Some of our collaborations include our yearly summer backpacks um, with First Five Marin, um, providing bilingual services and books to families in programs like the Home Visiting Program and Baby Gems. The Learning Bus has also participated in pandemic-related work like the pediatric rollout, uh, vaccination rollout events. And this upcoming month of April, we will be celebrating Dia del Niño, Day of the Child, all month long with fun activities and literacy resources. Um, currently, the Learning Bus has four locations in Central Marin and three in West Marin, which you can see in this lovely map. Um, we are proud of our program's growth. Um, with the addition of staff, we will be able to create two to three new weekly visits starting in August um, and provide more outreach visits to more preschools as well as more collaborations with our partners. To wrap up our presentation, um, with our continuous improvement, we will be tracking um, our success on all of our education initiative, equity initiatives uh, by measuring uh, participation on program, uh, by program and our location. Uh, we will also be tracking the expansion of our multicultural and bilingual programs and services. Um, these assessments will inform changes to library services going forward uh, and also allow, our success to also allow us to share our success like we did today um, with the board, with staff, and the wider community. So we thank you for the opportunity for us to share some of where we're headed in the next fiscal year with your support. Um, and the impactful service of our learning bus. And we're ready to answer any questions you have for us. Great, thank you to Alejandro, Ramona, and Lana. Let me see if there's any questions. Mary, anything? Of course, please. <laughs> Is there more than one bus? Yeah. <laughs> Ale, do you wanna talk about the bus? <laughs> well, there's a bookmobile, okay. uh, which serves everybody. Um, I mean, the learning bus also serves everybody, but we are focused on zero to five-year-old children and families, um, so it's literally a preschool classroom on wheels. And so does the learning bus go to other different communities at different times, including, you know, older yeah. adult communities or other underserved communities? How does that work? So, Ramona, do you want to talk about the bookmobile? Sure. The bookmobile um, does go to many communities, including our older adults. Um, we partner with senior centers. Um, we have stops in strategic locations that are closer to like more densely populated older adults, as well as serving schools and um, other sites that are just more convenient for the community. So Bookmobile serves all ages, including seniors, and then Learning Bus serves zero to five-year-olds and their caregivers. And grandparents. And then on the Learning Bus, is it primarily a model where the children come and use the resources there, or are they checking out materials to take home as well? Um, they do both. Um, so when children come, we actually have the bus set up, which you can come and see. It's downstairs. Um, and there's playtime. Um, then the children help clean up, and we put all of our books away and our things. We have story time, more like a circle time. Um, and then we always have some kind of project, art, um, or crafts. Um, children also have the opportunity to check out books. Uh, we have a honor system lending library on board, um, and we also have a gift book program, um, so children receive free books on a monthly basis. 
Um, no questions. Thank you for the report. I just wanted to compliment you, Lana, you and your staff for, we recognize they avoid in service out in West Marin and it didn't match up with the vehicle that you currently had. So building this mobile, new mobile vehicle that's smaller and easier to get to and easier to get into places really will make a difference to a lot of people. And so I just want to compliment you on your flexibility to kind of change what you're doing and be creative and find new ways to, to serve people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you all. Uh, always love having presentations by the Marin County Free Library. Just telling Matthew, we keep on using the library to tell our great stories, but you know, people are going to think there's no other great stories to tell. But once again, <laughs> very glad that you're here. Um, and I have a question. This is our, these are budget workshops. So um, just in the funding generally. That's I mean, you you have a larger budget than just the bookmobile or the learning bus, what have you. And you've named some of the programs, some of the ways that um, the library, the, the non-traditional library functions that we now that you all now offer, even embedded supporting libraries within schools, et cetera. But specific to the the learning bus, since we're sort of highlighting that today, where does the funding come from for that? And, and, and what is the overall cost? Ramona, you want to answer? Sure. So we receive funding, um, you know, staffing is covered by our Marin County Free Library Fund. Um, and then we also receive funding from the First Five Commission. Um, they've been a long-term supporter of the Learning Bus, formerly flagship. So we receive funding from them as well. Um, and we also receive funding from Parent Services Project um, in annual funding to support our efforts. Um, the numbers, I think we, for first five, we receive about $60,000 a year. Um, and then for Parent Services Project, I think it's around $26,000 a year. And what is the total cost then of the, of the program, as it were? Because there's some Measure B dollars in there too, right? We'd have to get back to the board on that. And we have, you know, costs not only come from outside funding sources, as Ramona shared, but, um, you know, um, ongoing maintenance costs for the vehicle, staffing. Um. Okay, and I'm asking these questions because they lead into my next question, which is really great to hear that there's going to be some expansion. I'm assuming there's even more room and more need. Um, out there, you can, you know, one bus can only stop so many times during the course of the day and the course of the week, but um, I do think it would be worth circling back and understanding, potentially assuming that this program has an impact and is unique in terms of what's out there for kids who aren't accessing preschool traditionally, um, what the greater need is and towards potentially planning to fill, fill that gap in coming years. Um, and in parallel with that, I'm recalling that it took forever to get both a new bookmobile and a new, yeah, and that there needs to be some lead time in thinking about this. Do you want to talk about that? One of our goals. Do you want to highlight that? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, also, you know, you've probably heard from other departments in, in the past about. Um, supply chain issues in response to the you know COVID. Um, we, we saw much of that with uh, other mobile vehicles, so that's why we're starting with the planning uh, and looking at um, service Im implementation for the new West Marin vehicle. We know it takes some time, but we've got a pretty good idea about 
you know, where we need to head. Um, so that will include some surveying of um, what's needed, aligning the staff resources, and, and then monitoring that and watching that grow. So um, the overall cost, you know, in terms of our outreach program and mobile vehicles is low in comparison with that of managing one of our physical locations. Um, so it is a good option for the library in terms of, as Ramona shared in our video, you know, we can't reach everyone by requiring that they come into our physical location. So in terms of responsible spending and planning for the future, um, the mobile options um, are a great investment for the library. Again, to, to reach people where they are, that includes technology, books, you know, early education support. Um, but there is a lead time with vehicles and I'm, I'm hopeful that that will improve now um, as our you know, health environment has changed, but um, we are subject to the companies that make these vehicles. Right. Thank you. And then just lastly, the um, relationship and the interconnectedness with both the Marin County Office of Education and school districts generally, which these kids who are taking advantage and families that are taking advantage of the learning bus are feeding into ultimately, what does that look like? the relationship between MCOE and or those local schools? Um, I can speak to the local schools and Lonnie can speak to MCOE. Um, what that looks like as far as feeding into the program, we hope to see, and I think we have seen this, um, you know, families who start with the learning bus really build that relationship with the library um, who we can then, you know, highlight the connection to both the public and their school libraries as a trusted place. Um, and when we see that, um, I think happen most organically is like if we take, for example, Marin City, um, the learning bus partners with the Marin City Library staff um, who are embedded in the school to make sure that, you know, when kids see the learning bus, they also see Marin County Free Library as well as their school librarians all, you know, collaborating together. And so that's the model that we do to make sure that families are connected. Um, we could share more detail, you know, with Marin City and other school districts we have. Um, made sure, done a school library card project where we make sure all 400 students at Sausalito Marin City School District had a public library card that they could use and then our staff, you know, show them, you know, how to use it and make sure that they know that we're a resource. Just to add, I mean, I think it's, you know, our presentation is connecting our services with the data that's out there. So our services are stepping in um, either when the children aren't ready for school just yet uh, or when children are out of school. Um, so the public library is really there hand in hand with the schools and that partnership and growth over time for students in Marin. Um, our partnership with Marin County Office of Education, supportive, communicative. Um, one of our goals this past year and this year is, um, is building on the partnership with individual school districts so that every student gets a library card. And again, we come to them and, and work with the school district in that partnership to make sure that students know that they have it and they know how to use it. Uh, and we tailor that service per age level. So those that are younger, elementary and below, really handing them, as Ramona shared, that, that intimate connection of this is your library staff member, this is the, a resource that you can use, and this is how we will help you use it, not only in this moment in time, but going forward for the rest of your life. Um, and really partnering with you know middle schoolers and high schools or high school students and above to say the library is here use this as you wish um, as they as they do for that age level um, but these are the resources we have that meet your needs so we're really looking at um, that we're a key partner in this work especially you know in our educational equity areas um, that we are that support that additional layer of support for students 
Um, we will be there, um, and we will continue to tailor our services to meet their evolving needs, especially now for students coming out of the COVID environment. That, that partnership um, is needed more than ever. Thank you so much. Supervisor Lucan. Uh, thank you so much. Great to see you all. And under the framework of continuous improvement, it's really great to see the expansion of services and programs that you highlighted here today. Um, I'm wondering if you could maybe just give a little sneak preview on facilities following the, the passage of the measure and what the community can expect in the next uh, couple years um, with regards to the actual library facilities. Thank you, Supervisor Lucan, for that question. So one of our you know, primary goals um, with voter support was the passage of Measure B this past November. Um, so we are looking to do a comprehensive facilities assessment um, this next fiscal year to really show us the landscape of um, what we need to address and when, so a better timeline. So we anticipate you know, deep work on our facilities going forward. Once that assessment happens, the work will start and the planning will start. Um, we've continued to work on our facilities um, through you know, our former uh, measure, which was Measure A. Um, so we have a, a few facility projects coming up this year at Corte Madera and Fairfax, and we'll be sharing information with the public soon on those. Um, another project that we're looking forward and have surveyed our, our community on is how patrons use the inside of our facilities. So we're in the middle of a 10-branch um, in internal refreshment um, of furniture, paint, carpet, things like that to create that welcoming environment and patrons should start to see those improvements hopefully in early 2024. So a lot of concentration um, on our facilities work, um, just keeping our facilities up to date, make sure they meet the technology needs, and as well as grow that uh, welcoming environment for all ages of our patrons. Thank you. Great, well I just wanna add my compliments. And, and my appreciation too on the uh, expanding the hours in Marin City, a much loved and well utilized uh, library and they will be ecstatic about a makerspace. So thank you for that and for the and for the wonderful education of us too. So thank you to all. Welcome, Max. Good afternoon, uh, Supervisors Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And I think Josh is pulling up a slideshow, should come up here. It's up on this computer. Okay, cool. So I'm assuming it'll pop up there. Oh, there we go. Okay, cool. Great. Thank you. Sorry about that. So this is a really exciting topic. This is something that our team has been working on for uh, a while and has been a real partnership uh, among our our team members, a great number of them, and also our community partners. And I think um, even though this isn't um, where there's another project working on that sort of a formal utilization of the equity budget tool, this is I think gone through a process that while it's sort of informally connected to it, is similar in the approach in terms of having a sort of community a lot of community outreach and, um, and really uh, input from the community to say this is a priority and something that would really add you know, equity value to the work of the department. Um, so uh, the, we, we uh, a couple years ago, started convening uh, a group of external partners that we'd really gotten connected to through our community grants program 
of community-based organizations that were had equity focus in serving different communities around the county. And in meeting with those partners, we asked, um, you know, what are some of the ways that you're interested in being engaged with our team that would, you know, move the move the needle on equity in parks and and what are some of the things that we could explore working on together? And we really heard from that group that working on fees and eliminating and reducing fees uh, was something that was really valuable and important. And um, and so we convened uh, a working group uh, to work on this. And and we looked with that group at all of our different fees, everything from the entry fees to the reservation fees to commercial use fees. And what we really heard was that eliminating the entry fee for our regional parks was the highest, um, the most important sort of fee uh, to focus on. You know, we've also heard a lot of other things that transportation's important, that programming's important, that representation on our staff's important. So I don't want to minimize that, but among the fee uh, areas, the entry fee was was what you know was the biggest barrier, and and there were sort of two two reasons that we heard that that this was really important. Um, one of them is is reducing barriers to visitation. That you know, for uh, for folks in the community, having a fee attached to visiting a park can make it less uh, interesting for folks to visit, especially if money's really tight for uh, for somebody. And and thinking about parks and who we serve, um, you know, especially for people who don't have outdoor space, who live in uh, multifamily housing. Being able to go to a park is a place to get together with family and friends and connect. And we know that being in parks is related to the health of our communities, mental health, physical health, and is attached to good health outcomes. The other uh, reason for, for potentially eliminating fees is, is an equity reason that's m maybe more uh, based around fairness and justice, and that's that the when we did our visitor survey, I think it was in 2017, we found that our regional parks where we charge a fee had our most diverse visit visitors and, uh, and had our, our, our most low-income visitors as well. And that our open space preserves and, and other beaches, other areas where we don't charge a fee had our least diverse visitation and our highest income uh, visitors. And so... You know, I think for us as staff, but also to the community members and organizations we interact with, that felt like an injustice uh, to have um, that disparity. And, um, and so both of those were motivators for exploring uh, eliminating entry fees into our parks. And there are, only, uh, there are only a few parks that have entry fees. So it's uh, our, our regional park, Stafford Lake Park, uh, Paradise Park, McNear's Beach Park, uh, and then our uh, our boat ramps. So uh, Miller uh, boat ramp on Tomales Bay and uh, Black Point uh, up on the Petaluma River. Oops. So um, we had a number of meetings with our equity roundtable. The last of those was started in the summer, spring, summer of 2022, and into the fall with sort of recommending this, this uh, uh, considering this action to 
uh, our, our Parks and Open Space Commission, we initially brought uh, this concept of uh, eliminating our entry fees to our commission as an information item in January. And they had a lot of really good feedback, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then we brought it back to them with some additional uh, information in March with a recommendation to your board. And, and we're, I'm describing this today as an informational item, uh, and, but we plan to bring it back as an action item in, in May or June. And so uh, one thing we really heard from the, our Parks and Open Space Commission is uh, through their engagement with our department, they really value uh, the, the, the um, ability from Measure A to invest in, um, in our park infrastructure, and we're just concerned about the potential revenue loss from park fees. Our entry fees uh, generate approximately $400,000 uh, a year for for uh, for park uh, all of our operations maintenance of parks um, and uh, you know overall our our overall budget is about twenty eight million dollars um, of course a lot of those are you know measure a funds that are open space funds that can only be used on open space measure a funds that uh, go to cities and towns and and special districts and farmland preservation so the actual amount that goes to parks is is smaller um, and changes each year depending on the work plan uh, for parks. But still, uh, you know, we, following up on the presentation to the commission, we looked at um, both how removing fees could reduce costs and also where there were other opportunities to uh, offset the fee, the revenue loss. One thing we did was studied fees from other regional park agencies uh, in the Bay Area, and we found that our res site reservation fees, that most of our fees were really on par with other, other park agencies, but one place that we were significantly lower was on the fees for large uh, group sites, so especially you know, 100 or 200 people plus group sites. Um, and so there's an opportunity potentially to uh, increase uh, our cost to, to get closer to um, what other agencies are charging that would make up some of that lost revenue. Um, another opportunity is adding more reservable sites. So we found that, uh, that there are a number of places that there's a lot of interest in, in reservable picnic areas, and so it's both an opportunity at McInnes Park, at uh, McNears Beach Park at Stafford Lake Park to to provide more public uh, opportunities for for reservable sites and also generate more revenue. And then there are also cost uh, reductions in terms of no longer having to pay for the pay machines that are at our parks for you know all of the work to um, deal with the money that comes in and 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 depositing it. Um, and then lastly, there's the ability to utilize Measure A funds uh, to fund the elimination of park fees. And, you know, I really think through, you know, engaging with our staff, with our commission, with the Equity Roundtable, you know, in general, our recommendation is a mix of all of those things, of adding reservable, adding it about 20 additional reservable sites, of increasing um, our largest uh, uh, 
picnic area sites, especially the 200 plus person sites. Those are mostly used by organizations or special events. And one thing we're working on in tandem with this effort potentially is adding to our community grant program an ability for organizations that are focused on equity, providing equity focused services to the community to have a fee waiver for those same types of sites. Um, and, then, uh, and then additionally covering uh, any remainder of the lost revenue with Measure A funds. Uh, and then, you know, one thing we talked with our team a lot is what, how, how would this change our parks? You know, working with our, our rangers and the site supervisors who see the parks every single day and their potential concerns about, you know, is there going to be, you know, a lot of increased visitation or parking issues or things like that. Um, I think one of the really encouraging signs that we saw is uh, your board voted uh, a couple years ago to make the McNears pool free. Uh, and I think our team was worried a little bit about how much that would become a draw and it would might be very crowded and challenging. And what we actually saw was that when people were not forced to pay for the pool, they were very satisfied even with a short visit to it um, or they could see when it was crowded and decide they would come back later. Uh, and so crowding really wasn't a, a challenge that as much as we had expected. And I think we'd expect to see the same thing with parks, that people would come even for a very short visit, and since they didn't pay money for it, um, there isn't the pressure to stay for a long time to get your money's worth. Um, the other thing that's really exciting, we reached out to the Youth Commission and had a number of sort of focus sessions to talk about barriers to entry to parks. And, and this was the fee uh, reduction actually was something that, that they were really excited about um, because I think for a lot of young people, the idea of paying to go for a park um, it just for whatever reason is, is a significant barrier to them. And, uh, and so they were really excited about it. And I think it's, it's one way we really want to serve the community is making a safe place for young people to be outside and focus on mental health and be with their friends in a safe place. Um, and then lastly, I, along the lines of what I was talking about, that you know, in our partnership with, um, with public health and Marine Community Clinics, we've in the past um, uh, worked on a, you know, a park prescriptions program and found you know, uh, results which have you know, been shown many other places, but that Park activities reduced uh, depression scores, you know, uh, blood pressure, diabetes, other kinds of sort of uh, uh, common health issues uh, that were supported by by increased access and programming in parks. So there's a, a bigger benefit than just uh, people being able to visit parks. Thank you, Max. Let's see if we have any questions up here. All right. Um, thank you very much. I appreciate this, and I think starting with the end, I, I wholeheartedly agree that the more opportunity people have to get outside um, is, frankly, when it comes to mental health, probably one of the least expensive things that we can do with the greatest benefit and fewest barriers to accessing. So I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate looking at this this idea of what who goes to what parks and the fees um, 
surprising, maybe shouldn't be surprising, but you know, those of us with access to open space from our homes don't pay for that access every day. Um, so I, I appreciate you highlighting that. Um, on the group site question, I, I think it's interesting and I would love to see a little more information on that. Um, kind of recently having been in the, you know, birthday party at parks stage of life, um, you know, the, like, my recollection is the big site at Stafford Lake for 200 people is, you know, four or $500 and it's for an all day. And so is there an opportunity to look at splitting, splitting the day or, you know, getting two groups in there at one time? But I also think adding other reservable sites is really important because at least the time I looked at it, like 200 was the only opportunity. And so some of those smaller, you know, 30 people or less, but, you know, needing that certainty of a location of a picnic table is really important. I think there's a great um, appetite for that, and it um, arguably would, you know, it's also a question of who is use, utilizing those spaces. Um, is it people who can host a party at home, or is it people who you know, may not have that space in their living room. And so do we want to encourage that opportunity for gathering and so forth? So thank you for bringing up the issues. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, Mark. Matt, <laughs> thank you for the, uh, the update. Um, I, too, a little bit like Mary, want to know more about how we're offsetting these revenues. Um, you know, I'm more concerned probably about the reverse re um, reservable sites. That seems to be a, a little bit of a problem when you're looking at equity for me, because um, it means it's someone's privilege whether they have access to a computer, they can afford it, whatever. Um, so I, I want to understand what each dollar amount is for these so that maybe you can make the decision on yes, it's worth it or no, it isn't. Um, I do think Measure A funding really should support this, whatever the outcome is. Um, and really want to understand may, maybe going a little easier into the changes, you know, figured we'd offset it with measure A and we go into the changes and test things and see how it worked might be a better approach. And, uh, but I think we need to pay attention to reserving more sites and things because I think that's a net loss for, for people who don't have the income or the capability of reserving those. So, okay, thanks. So I'd like to hear more in May. But great program, really support it. Uh, you know, I've been asking and supporting this for a while, so I think that uh, you know, with the opportunity of Measure A passing again, I think it brings us that we have do have this opportunity to look differently at our fees. So thank you, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, just really quickly, Max. Um, I'm so glad this is finally happening. It's been uh, on the horizon for a while, and now you've done that sort of data dive too, and I think there is that one next layer of dive to go into really understanding the, the larger reserve demand, who's demanding it, and to what degree uh, whatever we set those fees at is going to be a, a barrier for those who um, potentially can't afford it and yet want to still have that larger gathering. So I think that's really a good thing to dive into, but I know you will do it well. But otherwise, this has been a long time coming, and um, I think that it's so interesting, you know, the example of what the assumptions were going to be, were about what would happen if you removed the fees on the pool. 
And it's so obvious uh, when we recognize it happened that, oh, of course, yeah, folks were going to stay longer if they'd shelled out, you know, 20 bucks than if they. So it just is a great reminder to check our assumptions um, and, and see how things go. But anyway, this was a long time coming. And then just to underscore what Supervisor Sackett said, it, you know, it's when we did that park survey back in 2016, whenever it was, and, you know, here were those op great open space preserves in the backyards of, you know, those of us who are privileged and have property and live next door to those open spaces. And we walk out every day and get that exercise for free. And someone in an urban setting uh, who's also paying in to measure a um, is having to go to a park, a regional park, wanting to. Uh, and their choice of recreation there's a charge for. So um, this is the moment uh, that showed, reared its head years ago, and thank God we're finally here now. Supervisor Lucan. Uh, this, is, this is really exciting, and uh, yeah, curious to learn more as we, we move along. Uh, with regards to replacing some of this revenue, I know we chatted briefly. If we're going to be removing the, the box, the pay boxes and all of that, whether there's an opportunity through a real sort of low-tech um, option of uh, taking donations for our parks. Um, uh, people are used to stopping. We kind of have one way in, one way out. Something as simple as a QR code, support your parks. Um, not that everybody would do it, but we have a very giving community. You never know if somebody walking in is going to donate $5 because they had a great time at the park or $1,000, um, and it might be a way to recover some of that, that revenue either on the way in or the way out. Had a great, you know, enjoyed your park visit today. Um, maybe even as a little pilot might be something to replace some of that revenue. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Yep, thank you, Max. Agree with all my colleagues and look forward to seeing you move this forward. So, okay. Thanks for the presentation. Thank you. For uh, folks who may be just tuning in, I want to let you know we'll be taking public comment at the end of the informational presentations. Yes, I know Supervisor Rice had some questions of the Health and Human Services work plan, so I wanted to provide uh, Dr. McLaren a chance to answer those questions. And so I'll maybe ask Supervisor Rice to... Dr. McLaren, so nice to see you, and it's been great seeing members of your team earlier. Um, during these hearings. I, yeah, I was uh, actually just uh, hoping that you could speak a little bit more to, um, there's a couple bullets in the, in the work plan, and I know the work plan is not all in everything that HHS does, but these are highlights. Um, but there was a couple bullets speaking to um, the foster care system and targeting to increase in-county placements versus out-of-county, which we, we know is a big deal. and, and we want to. We want our kids placed here locally, and then also um, with regards to um, a program specifically rental assistance towards supporting youth who are aging out of our foster care system, so they don't fall into homelessness, which we know happens a lot. And so, I was hoping you could just focus in on those two items, but more generally, um, also to highlight the need there of this population that is often so overlooked, and yet uh, if we talk about a safety net population and the role of Health and Human Services in the county in terms of serving a safety net population, um, this is one that, that I feel uh, I know we're paying attention to, and I'm glad those bullets are there, but I, I just wanted to highlight this and also examine your goals and um, how we're going to get there with regards to the bullets I called out. 
Yes, thank you, Supervisor um, Rice, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about our work with our foster youth. It's definitely been one of our uh, priorities um, of our work plan and of just all, all of our work in general. Um, um, before we get going, I do want to just say happy Social Work Appreciation Month again for our social workers who do tremendous work every day and along these lines really work hard to make sure that our fat children and families stay safe in Marin County. Um, the theme this year actually for Social Work Appreciation Month is um, Social Workers Break Barriers. And so this work that we've been doing um, recently around trying to um, really look at how we can support uh, increased uh, families, keeping families, uh, keeping children, in Mar foster children in Marin County is around that breaking barriers. Um, we know that we have had challenges over the last few years of finding foster families in Marin County and having to send children oftentimes foster children outside of the county. So we wanted to um, this year look at where we could uh, do some work to really uh, better advertise the need, market the need, look for more families in Marin County who would potentially be uh, good uh, families uh, to be foster families. And our goal, um, as you mentioned, was to increase the number of county foster youth placements by 10% through a coordinated outreach campaign to potential foster families and enhance financial support for foster uh, uh, family placements, uh, placement families. Um, and so what we've been doing uh, this past year um, is really trying to embark on an opportunity to improve our awareness of the need and encourage residents to become foster parents our, our social services and children and family services continue to see more because of this campaign, have seen more interest and more awareness of the need for foster parenting in Marin County. Uh, we have had started advertisements. You've probably seen some of them. Social media efforts, uh, targeted community research, and use other methods for communication Advertising is also happening at schools and in local farmers markets. Um, we've also completed two short video ads that are set to appear uh, uh, soon in local theaters. The ad agency was able to find some filmmakers that were willing to donate some of their time and develop these 20 second ads created uh, using two former foster youth. So we're looking forward to that coming out. Um, we also ha we have seen some increase in applications received. Um, when we compare year over year. The previous year we had 23 applications and we've had 34 applications uh, following our increased uh, efforts. Um, regarding, and so we are really hopeful that this new ad campaign as well as some additional incentives that we do have available for foster families and we hope foster families will um, will come out and um, folks that are interested in being can learn a lot. We have a great team uh, of folks that can really support foster families and again there's some new incentive uh, funds that are available also for foster families. Um, regarding the other foster um, foster youth issue, um, our second goal or priority was to support local youth aging out of the foster care system with rental subsidies 
to reduce their experiences with homelessness. Um, Gary Naharis mentioned a lot of things we're doing yesterday in his homelessness presentation and in Health and Human Services. This is another option, uh, opportunity we have to really prevent homelessness. That we're really trying to work with our uh, foster youth. And this program um, started um, a few months back where we did um, uh, go out and look for youth who might qualify uh, for this new program where we basically can provide $1,000 a month a stipend for one year for these youth who are aging out of foster care. These youth must be over 21 years of age, have lost funding for all housing and case management support. Um, and our goal is really to support these folks, um, these folks who are especially vulnerable, ages 21 to 24, who are Marin residents. Um, we will be awarding 11 of these awards on May the 1st to 11 uh, foster youth who live in Marin. So we're excited about that. Um, and I think that's all. Any other questions? That's, I had one more okay. on, on another subject, but, I, but thank you for that overview. And I just, I think that um, I'm really, I think this, the targeting to continue to increase and using that marketing and outreach to mm -hmm. improve the pool is really important. That was something new, sort of changing mm -hmm. things up. Exactly. And I really appreciate the partnership with uh, the Foster Care Association. And we're in on that, and I believe you were using all internal funds to sort of expand uh, that outreach. But it's something that's not going to go away, that continuous need for outreach over time. Um, so it will be good to be able to measure, you know, its effectiveness and tweak it. And then on the, on the, the aging out, population to what um, I, and we can talk about it offline but I I know they are at very high risk uh, for homelessness later on if uh, and all sorts of um, and, and interactions with the criminal justice mm -hmm. community etc so uh, I am curious and would love to have a follow-up conversation about what's happening out there uh, in other communities towards um, continued hand-holding and help potentially case management mm -hmm. in, a, in addition to uh, rental assistance or financial assistance for, for those young adults who are out there on their own, yeah. truly on their own. Absolutely. And when you think about it, you know, even youth that have uh, intact families have challenges launching these days. So you can imagine that our youth who, you know, grew up with a lot of other, uh, yeah. other barriers have these challenges. So we really want to support them and try to make sure that they have as much support they can to have a successful life right. ahead. And then just lastly, really quickly, I don't know if it can be quick, um, uh, emergency preparedness for our disadvantaged, uh, disproportionately affected, most vulnerable populations. If you could just uh, talk a little bit more about that, where you see we are, where you see the need, and what it actually, what it looks like uh, in terms of being part of your work plan for the coming year. Sure. Um, you know, during the, the COVID pandemic, we um, started these um, different groups called, which we now refer to, they had a different names over time, but we now refer to as community response teams. And we have, we basically established uh, one team in what we consider each of our most, our most disadvantaged and uh, vulnerable communities, including um, the Canal area, Marin City, uh, West Marin and in North Marin, North Marin. So we basically have four community response teams that we 
have uh, started during COVID and have kept, because of the success of the communication, collaboration, getting feedback on how, how our response is going, has been really, really successful. So we've uh, maintained these uh, community response teams with the goal of really um, furthering their use for uh, preparing our communities for emergencies and for making sure that they have all the support they need. Um, so uh, currently, as I mentioned, there are four teams working, and we have really, um, really been uh, fortunate to have some great lead agencies in each of these communities uh, leading the charge with this work. Um, this work really is moving toward advancing into climate change. Uh, it's part of our health and human services priorities, and um, we're really uh, uh, fortunate to have some great lead agencies helping us to really, really uh, look at, especially with the weather changes and the things that we're seeing in our environment, a great opportunity to use uh, these teams to make sure that our communities are prepared to respond. Um, we have been uh, reviewing our geographic areas to see if there are a need for additional CRTs, and that's something that we'll be looking at uh, more in this coming year, if there's a, a need to add an additional uh, CRT, which we have heard there's some interest in some other parts of Marin in adding another CRT. Um, public health really has the lead on this area, and they are also using some of the CARES 3 funding to hire a consultant to evaluate all of our community partnerships, and including our CRTs, and the goal is to find the opportunities for better, even more, and better collaboration, um, looking at, you know, our, our lessons learned from COVID and, and post-COVID, and um, working with our lead agencies and identifying and um, really expanding on those relationships. And so we should be getting that work going uh, with a consultant in the next uh, several weeks. Great, and then uh, I'm assuming that that work also includes, and, especially, and also through public health, um, our connect, connection with our, um, our disabled population, isolated seniors and others who, who potentially need support, and we don't need to go into it today, but I think that's really important to call out Absolutely. because those folks are spread across, um, across Marin. And then just lastly, um, I would love it if um, you could come back at a later date and or follow up with me directly. I know we're looking at, um, we'll begin looking at or started looking at um, our extreme weather shelter severe. model, mm -hmm. severe, severe weather mm -hmm. models, you know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. um, and what changes might m might m make it function better, uh, be more responsive to the needs and the geographic challenges of our folks who are living without shelter during during severe weather. So I think that's important. I'm glad it's in your work plan. Yeah, and I can give you a little bit on that right now. Just to let you know that, you know, um, we have, uh, since COVID, we've gone back from the hotel model to a congregate model. And this year, we have uh, seen quite a few um, people participating. Um, as you know, there has been a great increase in the, you know, the need for the severe weather shelter. Uh, but we have, um, in light of the ch changing climate change, increasing storms, we're looking at uh, revisions in our criteria for next year. And we're also looking at um, 
different models from other counties on how they are supporting um, our homeless population during these events. Um, as of yesterday, we have had 10 activations this winter season of our severe weather emergency shelter. We average about two nights per activation, and we've had a total of 23 nights where the severe weather emergency shelter was open. We have seen 357 uh, duplicated um, clients, um, and then and they have been served since 328, so some of those are repeat folks. Um, our average um, is about, about 16 people staying per night. And so we are, like I said, we're looking at other models, other counties. Um, we have seen a decrease in the number of people coming to our shelter over the years. And so we are want to look at models on how we can best support uh, the community in this way, especially with the increase in the storms. Thank you very much, Vanita. Yes, you're welcome. Other questions? Any for you, Eric or Mary? Or Great. Benita, I just had a quick one. You've been working so hard to get the Southern Marin Hub open, and you have a van that I've seen down there. I just wonder if you could give us an update on how things are going. Sure. Um, yeah, as you know, um, almost as long as I've been here, but maybe not that long, um, but at almost as long as I've been here, you know, I've had a, a vision of having, of creating a, a, a hub in Southern Marin to support our uh, communities in Southern Marin to have uh, our services, health and human services, available more closely uh, to our community. Um, so our goal has been to find a location. We've had, you know, some challenges finding a location over the years. And so, um, but our plan is to continue to do that. We do still have a, a goal to do that. Um, in the short term, we are, we are planning to provide social services and public health services starting uh, in the next few weeks, including uh, uh, CalFresh and Medi-Cal enrollments, WIC uh, programs, uh, veteran services, and more. Um, and our, using our new, we did get a new HHS van. We plan to be in Marin City uh, at least two days a week, probably Mondays and Thursdays at various pop-up locations, including the Housing Authority office, uh, in Golden Gate Village, uh, and some of the church food pantry distribution sites uh, until we can get our new facility is ready. Uh, we have been working along with the uh, Community Services District, and right now we're working on a potential lease agreement and design for our new temporary facility, which we're hoping will be uh, moving to the current uh, Marin City Wellness Center annex um, and currently, um, you know, like I said, we're tentatively agreed to have some space in that annex when the clinic moves out, which they're uh, tentatively uh, moving out in June. So um, our hope is by the end of the year, um, we'll be able to have a, a more permanent building, uh, temporary permanent space. Thank you for all your efforts, Benito. It sounds like we're really close to launch. That's yes. great. And I did just want to point out, because uh, uh, Supervisor Moen Peters, you had asked earlier, we have this in the Board of Supervisors because we view it as a countywide initiative because you know we really appreciate HHS taking a lead, but ultimately we're thinking that other departments would be 
you know, providing services out of that hub as well. And so that's why we had it in the countywide category. Great, that's even mm -hmm. better news. Thank you. <laughs> we'll give them space for other county departments. <laughs> and so good for you. Thank you. And if you're ready for the next department, I think our fire chief was gonna be available for to highlight a couple initiatives as well. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Uh, Madam President, board members, good afternoon. Jason Weber, Fire Chief. Uh, thank you for having us up here today uh, to talk about a couple of the items in our work, uh, proposed work plan for next fiscal year. Um, start with uh, some exciting news, and that's the evacuation uh, study that we have was part of the implementation of the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority and funded uh, through such. And that study is, is really designed um, to take a very scientific look at the fire problem in comparison to our roads and uh, where our people live, critical infrastructure. Um, it, it's something we'll be able to use as a planning tool. Uh, so when we start to spend those limited dollars on vegetation management projects, uh, parking boxes possibly in some of our hillside communities, those kind of activities, we can make sure that we're being as strategic as we can with those dollars. So uh, this software will look at the vegetation overlays. It will look at population density. It'll look at population at different times of day. Uh, the early results from the study are very encouraging. Um, it's giving us the information that will really make a difference in how we're able to use our resources uh, across the entire county. So we expect that to be up and running uh, this summer, so it'll inform our, our work plan uh, for, the, for the following fiscal year. And This was done by Sonoma Technologies Incorporated, which was uh, right to the north of us, but also did our CWPP. So they are very familiar with the county, uh, the vegetation overlays, a, a lot of the work. Now we're focusing on the roadway network, and as we know, there are a lot of our hillside communities that are challenged, um, and how we can make informed decisions, better education, preparation, all those mitigation tools we have available to us and be strategic with them is pretty exciting. And they've partnered with UC Berkeley and some of the work they've done and I think there was an article in the paper a little while back about uh, some of the work out in Bolinas. Um, you know, it's also understanding how people are going to react and respond. Um, so the psychology of evacuation is an important piece of this. So it's a very interesting study. Um, it's in peer review right now, and some of the comments I was reading the other day are very encouraging by people uh, in other counties and other areas of the country um, that are very encouraged by this work because it really is you know, on the, on the leading edge of what's being done uh, across the country related to evacuations. And they've studied all of the fire, major fires where there was large evacuations. Um, they're using that information to inform uh, the models and also the study itself. So quite encouraging, and we'll see that uh, in the next 12 months. A second piece, and I'll thank Dr. McClellan. Uh, she just brought up an interesting point, one of, and I think I just screwed up her last name. Yes. Last name. Sorry, but it's actually here. McLaren, <laughs> Dr. McLaren. Um, one of our uh, individuals in the Fire Foundry program was in foster care through his uh, teenage years mostly, no family in the area, um, and he's being helped by the rental assistance and getting on his feet. He's coming out of the Fire Foundry program, 
and uh, was just recently hired on one of our fire crews. So I think an exciting example of what's happening between departments and how we're reaching, uh, you know, and making a difference in people's lives. And with that, uh, the Fire Foundry program is off and running. We finished our first cohort this last year, learned a lot in the first year, um, very encouraged by our partnership with uh, College of Marin and a lot of the same work they're doing, um, we're doing here at the county and the partnerships, uh, a really natural partnership, um, you know, and how we complement the work experience, uh, giving them, you know, the, the affordable housing that's needed, um, breaking down a lot of those traditional barriers that, that precluded people of color and women from entering the fire service. Um, and we'll be back hopefully in the next month with an MOU from the College of Marin to look at how we can further partner and build the relationship, really looking you know, forward and long-term um, and, and using some of their, their underutilized uh, facilities out of the, the, the campus in Indian Valley. Um, so that's an exciting piece over the next 12 months that, that we'll be back in front of you for sure. Um, but the Fire Foundry program is, you know, it's, it's working. It's doing exactly what we intended it to do. And we're starting to see this first cohort hired um, in seasonal jobs on the fire crew in our dispatch center um, and, and defensible space program. And then last, uh, I think everyone's well aware that a lot has happened uh, and is happening in, in the fire department over the last 12 months and prospectively looking forward. And so a big part of that will be updating our strategic plan to reflect a lot of these changes and kind of organize all of, all of these things that are happening. And that includes you know, the Office of Emergency Management, um, the changes coming to the dispatch programs, uh, the crew expansion, uh, and then also uh, facilities uh, and how we meet the needs of not only today, but, you know, the future fire service here in the county. So thank you all for your time. Uh, thank you for your support. And of this would be possible with the, without all of you. And we've come a long way in a short period of time with uh, mitigation efforts, wildland fire prevention, a lot of this across the county. So it's an exciting time, and thank you. Absolutely. So I'm going to change it up and see if Supervisor Lucan or Supervisor Rice have any questions, comments? Have any questions. Thanks for the update. Jason, thanks so much, and um, appreciate that detail. And, of course, there's a lot more going on uh, with your department. Um, but just want to, again, call out your leadership and your team's leadership and the fact that County Fire is uh, such a partner across the county with other fire districts, other agencies, uh, and um, it plays such an important role, it, more than just um, the, your mandate to um, provide services, uh, fire prevention and otherwise, to um, uh, county residents. So anyway, really want to thank you for that. Great. Vice President. Yeah, thank you, Jason, for the update. Um, we heard a lot about staff morale uh, coming off all the fires we were having, and we had kind of a light year this last year. Just wondered if you could comment on that, how things are going, and I know you're working on some additional, um, some additional work with the CAO's office to try and mitigate some of that, and just wondered if you can comment about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an important piece. It has been a challenging five or six years, and we've asked a lot of folks, and I think that, you know, going through COVID for everyone, you know, the mental health challenges that were experienced by our general population and then added to those that, you know, were watching really whole communities being devastated, torn apart, death, destruction, 
mental health has been a big challenge uh, with a lot of our firefighters. Uh, historically, this was something that you know firefighters didn't talk about. Um, and you know, I, I think it's a good thing that people are talking about it, but it's also highlighting that there has been a lot of trauma. And uh, we've made some one-time investments, and we're going to continue those working with the CAO's office um, to support individuals that are struggling. Um, you know, I think that morale's in a better place. Certainly, I think last year was a bit of a relief. Uh, we've also worked on the staffing and, and uh, making sure we're balancing, um, you know, that commitment to our statewide efforts and these fire activity with getting people time off also. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the next year, hopefully, um, we'll, we'll be peaceful like last year. I hate to predict things, but at least give us ourselves a little bit of a reprieve. We also have a behavioral health team uh, embedded in the organization, peer support, uh, that's been very effective also, and, and thank them. But, yeah, it's been a challenging couple years. Thank you for that, and I just wanted to also compliment you and the sheriff for helping to make this transition from OES to OEM really seamless, and I've heard nothing but good things about our responses, so thank you. thanks to you both for your leadership on this item. Absolutely. Thank you, Chief Weber. I appreciate this evacuation tool, and you've taught me a lot by um, talking through this. And so if you could just speak to a couple things. One, you know, why this is better than drills, because I think we do this year. Can we do evacuation drills in our communities? Um, does it is it going to be applicable beyond fire for other disasters? And then the third, you know, through our housing element and our sites identification, population increase is always population increase in evacuation planning and routes are always oftentimes um, pitted against each other. And so will this tool allow the opportunity to test what an evacuation would look like if you added, 36 units of housing somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think that from the housing perspective, you know, we have heard a lot about that. I'm concerned about the evacuation piece. And, you know, we we have to emphasize with our residents, being prepared is, is the number one tool. Second is preparing your home so it can withstand ember showers and a fire. And then, and then early alert and warning systems that are in place um, you know, using those and exercising those um, are all important pieces of this. And yes, the study will help inform our discussions around, uh, you know, any kind of additional housing or changes with traffic, um, those kind of pieces. But, I, you know, this often happens. People become laser focused on a single issue uh, and forget that, you know, their go bag isn't ready. They're not registered for Alert Marin. And they, you know, they are not prepared, their home, um, to withstand ember showers. And really, if those other three things are in place, um, we minimize the risk. And, and, you know, working with the sheriff's office and other local law enforcement agencies, we're activating our alert and, uh, warning system early. We're prepared on those highest risk days, like red flag days. Um, you know, we have a robust both law enforcement and fire mutual aid system in place. So I, th you know, I think that's this is a good conversation time for our community and say, pause. Are you ready? Is your home ready? And do you have a plan? And let's start there. And then, you know, this evacuation study will help inform under very scientific conditions. You know, what does additional traffic look like at what time of days? And that will be helpful. Um, 
and it will assist with all risk. So it'll identify areas with single points of egress, you know, and whether that's a mudslide that takes a road out or some other disaster or earthquake, uh, it'll also help inform, you know, what is our time frame for getting people out? Did I answer all your questions? There was one at the beginning I the think I missed. The other one about just how this compares to having a drill in a neighborhood. Yes, good point. So the drills are typically lightly attended. Even if it's 20% of the population, it really doesn't test the road networks as if, you know, 100% of the people were being asked to evacuate at that time or did. Um, so this modeling will give us some better, better tools. Uh, the evacuation drills we still have regularly across, and they're as much to exercise our alert and warning systems uh, and our, our community partners, so law and fire working together. And on each one of them, we find something to improve upon. So those will continue. Uh, but the cadence of them is usually annually um, and then can rotate around to different areas. Uh, but but this, this evacuation software will be much more accurate and what can we actually expect at different times of day during an incident. You bet. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Appreciate it. And our last presentation that's planned is the update on the development of the new county website. Madam President, board members, it's a pleasure to be with you today. My name is Lainey Hendricks, and I am the Communications Director for the County of Marin, and it's a pleasure to share with you an overview of our website project that we are currently working on today. I want to set the stage by sharing with you our vision for this project, and that is for our new website to be accessible, helpful, and an easy place for official, easy place, easy to use place, rather, for official county information and services. And as we dive into this vision and our goals, we have to remember that in this digital age where many people Google first before picking up the phone or even going to visit somewhere, our website is our virtual doormat. It is a reflection of our services. So at the end of this project, we hope that our digital content and our online services can be simply findable making sure our content is easy to find, uh, quickly searchable, things like that. Secondly, simple and understandable. We wanna try to get away from a lot of heavy government jargon. We wanna use plain language so that it's easy for people to understand what we are doing here. We want it to be accurate and updated. We recognize by providing the most accurate information, we help build trust in our community. We want it to be equitable and accessible because our content and our services need to work for everyone in every language and on every device. And finally, we hope that it will be relevant and be organized in such a way that people can find content quickly and easily. Now, research is really woven into everything we have done with this project. And we're leveraging both industry best practices and experience gathered by the advisors of our project. But we're also conducting local research because we need to tailor that industry practice data to our local audience. 
And most importantly, this user research is going to tell us if we have indeed achieved our objectives that we have set out to get. So we, as you've seen here, we are using a number of different methods from user interviews to surveys, uh, feedback interviews, qualitative and quantitative measures, and everything in between. This helps us understand how people not only navigate our current website, but we've also tested out uh, user, excuse me, design prototypes, and we'll continue our user uh, research as we publish our new website to understand if they are indeed finding content easily, if certain aspects are or are not accessible, um, and most importantly, if they can navigate the website just as easily in other languages as they can in English. We're also making sure we're using research of, among a cross-section of uh, individuals that represent our population from older adults, business owners, non-English speaking individuals, as well as looking at people that maybe have hearing, visual, or physical impairments. And we're also taking into consideration race, ethnicity, income, and education considerations. Now this is a very high level overview of our timeline, both in where we've come from and where we're going. We actually kicked this off back in late 2021 uh, with a rigorous search for advisors that can help guide our team on the latest technology, research, and trends. We conducted an equally as thorough evaluation of different content management systems, or CMS. That's the tool we use to actually build the website. And a cross-section of our county departments have participated in this conversation, making sure we're considering the viewpoints of both our technical gurus as well as the people responsible for drafting and publishing the content from the department head level down to the admin. Now, one thing I really want to stress to you is that this is not a content migra migration project. We are not simply copying pasting from the oldmarincounty.org over to marincounty.gov, which will be our new URL. Because if we want to achieve our objectives, which are to make sure that information is easy to understand, easy to find, and accessible to all, we have to evaluate every piece of content, all of it. So in doing this, we're taking a phased approach, not only department by department, but in evaluating our current content. We're rewriting it, we're reorganizing it, and then we're building the new pages. So in October of 2022, we set off that first process of evaluating, rewriting, and building. Uh, this started with our homepage, which is the foundation of the website, and related functionality and pages. And then we kicked off with our first group of departments. And as you can see here, this includes our county administrator's office, information services and technology, board of supervisors, and cultural services, which also includes the Marin Center's portion of the website. As we get to a certain point in re content rewriting and publishing, we then launch another cohort of departments. So uh, the Community Development Agency is already underway in their rewriting process, and we're about to launch probation, county council, civil grand jury, and parks very soon as well. And then from here, we'll continue this incremental approach through uh, in publishing and rewriting, of course, through 2025. And then, of course, as we launch more and more content, we will continue to engage in that user research, again, to make sure that we have met our objectives that we set forth earlier. Our goal is to publicly launch our website um, around late May, June. No, it won't be complete, but at least this is an opportunity for the public to begin to experience what the new marincounty.org will, excuse me, marincounty.gov will look like. 
start to surf and understand the content that is available on the website, but most importantly, provide us feedback so that we are indeed engineering this for our audiences. Now, this is a very quick preview of what the new homepage looks like. This is a glimpse of a cleaner, more organized look so that people can more quickly find the services that they are looking for. Um, this is a feature that will, that will offer timely and yet dynamic information. So if there are certain seasonal priorities where people tend to look for a certain type of information more than other types of year, or maybe there's an emerging need like an emergency, we can reorganize these items so that they can quickly find that information. The final point that I will leave with you is that our team also believes in transparency and they have been uh, publishing uh, periodic, what they call done doing updates every two to three weeks and it quite literally says this is what we've completed and this is what we're working on next as well as providing some interesting uh, information on some of the data and research that's informing our practices. So anyone is welcome to subscribe to those updates at this site um, above and we look forward to launching the site publicly very, very soon. So with that, I'm happy to entertain any questions and we also have uh, Liza Massey here on behalf of the Information Services and Department, uh, Technology Department. And I do wanna say this is a true combination between the County Administrator's Office and Information Services and Technology, recognizing that a website is not just a technical tool, it's a vital public information tool. So I've been very pleased to work in tandem with her team to make this a reality. Yes, if I could, Liza Massey, um, Chief Information Officer, good afternoon, board. Um, as uh, Lainey just said, it really is a partnership, not just between the CIO and IST, but all the departments. So we've had an executive steering committee um, and running it as a project, um, an executive uh, steering committee are, is made up of department heads across, including some elected officials. Um, I do wanna point out a, a few things as we revise what is really, um, and, and move forward on a really uh, important public uh, project is that while we are rolling out um, new pages uh, that are clean and, and the content's been reviewed and made more accessible and, and understandable, the existing pages will continue to be there. And so you may go to the new homepage and you go to the CAO's office and they have new pages, but you go to another department, um, it's gonna go to their existing content today. And that is just how we are managing to roll it out in phases versus waiting, as you can see, three or four years to do a big bang. Um, it also allows us to learn as we go, so each new department that's rolled out, we have the um, benefit of what we've learned. And so I just wanted to make, uh, make that clear. And then um, I would say, you know, finally, that uh, Lainey mentioned about the new content management system. Um, this, this project has a front end that, that we care about, and that is the website and seeing it and using it. But on the back end, everything is new too. The, the software that we're using and the processes that we're taking, um, there is less uh, manual intervention and less load on IST to be a bottleneck for, for keeping content updated and current where the departments will have more control over that. And I can't stress enough that you're gonna see a lot less PDF documents that are not digitally accessible and more content that is very accessible on web pages. That's a big effort. We have thousands and thousands of pages and documents. So I wanna give kudos to the departments for taking that on. And part of this is you know, kind of like moving and cleaning out those drawers. We're not moving forward things that, that aren't important anymore. 
and what we do have will be easily searchable and digitally accessible. So also here to answer any technical questions you might have. Great. Well, I'm going to start since I requested this, but I want to thank you both. Um, I, I think this is absolutely crucial uh, to increasing our transparency, improving our customer and constituent service, and facilitating two-way communications. I want to ask a couple of questions about um, uh, the goals that we have. One of the things that, that I'm hoping for all of us that we get out of it is the website will make um, uh, our services more actionable online, sort of a self-serve platform, and so I'm wondering if you could speak to that. It's a little bit like uh, Public Works report a pothole so that people can go directly to the website to report or request a service. So is, is that part of what you'll be doing? I would say if, um, yes and no. So if you saw the sample of the homepage, it's no longer about the departments or about the county as a whole. It goes into what services are there. Um, and on the back end, we've made many more services available online, especially as a, as a result of COVID. But there's still work to do to put in a system such as I saw a pothole and, and those things. So it'll be a work in progress. Right now, we're just trying to get that front end. So it's really easy, for instance, during, you know, tax time, property tax time, that'll be one of the buttons that goes to the top instead of having to know it's the assessor recorder or finance. So yes and no. Yes, we've made a lot of services um, available. Are there more that we need to integrate into it or develop? Yes, we do. Sure. Lainey, anything to add on that? No, I think that's right on. If anything, the only thing I would add is in this process to uh, review, really review our content and recognize the opportunity for online services. I think some departments are recognizing um, how they can go about their delivery of services a little bit differently. So there's already been some brainstorming of maybe we could change this online app to be more inclusive of this or be easier to navigate. So um, again, I do think the primary objective is that front end experience that Liza men mentioned, but it's, it's simultaneously stimulating that conversation of continuous improvement in our delivery of online services. So I think it will just naturally kind of occur in that process. Yeah, good. Uh, because one of my measurements of success, and I don't know if it's one of yours, but is reduced calls to my office for service. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's one of the things I'll be looking at. Anyway, any questions? Yes. Um, never miss an opportunity to follow up. Thank you for the report, Lainey. Uh, Liza, connected to this for me is our Marin Digital strategic plan and bringing, making sure we have internet to our entire community. So I just wondered if you'd take an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Sure. And one thing I would start out with that's very connected to our, our new website is in the research we did to come up with a broadband strategic plan that your board adopted about a year ago um, is that we looked at communities that were unserved and underserved um, that were diverse, that had socioeconomic issues, and we found that a lot of them don't have computers in the home, but they use their, their phones. And one nice thing about this website is it's much more mobile friendly, and they'll be able to do business from their phones, and it'll be easier to use. So I just want to tie that together. Um, where we are just, you know, 30,000 foot level, and I'm happy to answer questions, we've identified um, areas in Marin um, and they are backed up by the state and the federal government where we have unserved, meaning people don't have access to broadband, um, you know, fiber, internet access, or underserved. And we received about $950,000 in grants with the city of San Rafael and 
Tiburon, and we're, we're looking at those specific areas, including Marin City, Canal, and out in West Marin, to say, to get to a design of how we could bring broadband and bring better internet service or internet service for the first time. So when I come forward and, and we have projects um, where we'll actually be looking at shovel ready and putting fiber in, you'll see that they are a little bit of a patchwork because we have to focus on those have-nots right now. Um, so this work right now is technical assistance is around design. We are getting ready for federal funding um, to do actual construction, infrastructure construction that's community driven. We do know that three areas in West Marin um, look like they're, they will absolutely receive um, federal funding for construction. Others we might have to be um, look at different sources of funding all the way from Opportunity Zones to HUD, et cetera. But we, we are working on that because that's really important. It won't matter if we have a great website if not everyone can benefit from it. So thank you for the presentation and, um, you know, really focusing on plain language I think is so, so important and maybe some, and I'm glad we aren't just migrating prior information because um, we may not pass that with an A+. Plus. Um, and really focusing on accessibility and ableism and ageism, I think, as well, and, and hoping that in your focus and study groups you are including older adults and how that changes over the age continuum of you know comfort with technology and then I think fine fine motor can get harder or more difficult to enter small numbers so just making sure we include that in the work um, but I am so excited to see this move forward I think it's really really important and um, you know whenever I'm on our current website and can't find something I realize how you know it it, it, it takes somebody who really understands government to understand how to use our current website. So, <laughs> thank you. Sure, Supervisor Lucan, let's go to you. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, along to that that point, I'm curious. Uh, the new website and the current structure right now, a lot of the county departments are under kind of one umbrella, but then there's other departments that have either a separate site or kind of like a microsite or a subdomain under there. Um, which certainly makes it hard when you're searching for something, you think you're searching all Marin County sites, but you're not. How, how are you navigating through that, and is it is it working? So how are we navigating it as it relates to the new project? The new project and, and various departments that might have separate sites um, currently. So this is an invitation for those departments that have separate sites to uh, come back into the fold, if you will. The, the content management system that we uh, decided to move forward with is one of the most competitive and one of the most technologically advanced, if you will. At least I know that IST was drooling over it, shall I say, when we made the decision, so that's a good sign. But um, to be able to give these departments access to the very latest software and also have the support of IST in building their site. Um, in talking with some of these departments, and we've had ample conversation throughout this process, um, many of those departments are interested in moving over into this new system and therefore returning to kind of that MarinCounty.gov platform. Um, so yeah, I do think there's an opportunity for many of those subsites to come back to a county, um, county property. One thing I want to stress is in this pro project, we are aiming for there to be 
a level of consistency across all of our web properties, visual, branding, and at least that identity of this is an official County of Marin website. That being said, there are some departments where they have a long-standing, very separate brand identity. Um, Parks is a very visible uh, example of that. And so we would not want to take that away from them. So we are providing um, opportunities for them to fit into this new consistent model that we're hoping to build across all departments while giving them an opportunity to express their own brand identity in a way that their customers are familiar with. So that's something that we're aiming to achieve. And Liz, I don't know if you want to build on that. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say is that I'm glad you brought this up and, and Lainey can you know explain sort of the branding idea. But the other is there really has to be no wrong doors. So if you go to marincounty.gov and you want to go to parks, you should be able to find it that way. Or if you want to go directly to parks, um, you go there. The same with elections, et cetera. So some of those names won't go away. But people are invited in. The tool is easier to use. It's probably more secure than some of the things that we're using. The other piece of it is I really encourage all the departments to move to a .gov. Um, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the counties, local government, were um, excluded from using .gov for a while. Now we've been, it's been open to us, and soon it'll be mandated. And so as we roll out the new website, we're moving to marincounty.gov. Org will still work, so don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. It'll still go the right place. But what it does is it gives us a level of security that we wouldn't have with org. It's harder to spoof. People know it's a real government website. And then it is moving forward to a mandate. And so the, the county as a whole will be moving to it, but we are talking to the other departments that have individual um, URLs, you know, individual domain names that it's something else that we want to take a look at for cybersecurity reasons, too. Sounds good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you hopefully have provided the best platform to invite everybody into. It's, uh, I've, I've been involved in projects like this in the past, and it's always tricky with control and you know who manages what, um, but I hope everybody's looking at what's really in the best interest of the residents of Marin and interacting with county government. That's, that really should be that, that North Star that we're all working towards, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Elaine and Liza. Um, appreciate this update, modernization moving into the 21st century for the website. Um, this, this conversation around what happens um, at, with, from department to department and in terms of some of those sub-websites, sub what have you, I, I think that's really important. I think invitation, I, I would like a stronger word it, um, than invitation uh, as we reach out to departments. I'm thinking specifically about those departments in which people are visiting with a really not potentially urgent need or um, not necessarily going to parks to find out where they're going to recreate, but needing to go to HHS to find a service, um, maybe in crisis or maybe just, you know, something that's, that's a little bit uh, less discretionary and also CDA um, in terms of needing to get permitting or what have you, but the, those departments that are even more customer outfacing or externally outfacing and potentially, and HHS is so huge and has so many different divisions, it's really jarring to go from one model and type of user interface on a website platform to another. Um, we, we learn, uh, there's stuff we're learning as we're using a website that we probably isn't necessarily um, we don't realize what we're learning, and then we have to learn again when we get to 
a different type of interface. I don't know the technological cert, uh, terms, but all I know that um, it'd be nice to have consistency and be using, especially for those sites and departments that uh, our residents are really needing to be able to navigate through easily uh, and effectively and frankly um, make a really important impression of the county depending on that, uh, that, that interaction they have with the website. I think it's really important as well as essential uh, for certain needs that people have. Anyway, this is important work. I think I'm sending a message out to some of the departments. Um, yeah, decentralization of all of our website functions is interesting, and if there's a, a policy directive that needs to come, I would um, welcome some expert input. Thank you to you both. You're a good team on this, and as you can see, there's a lot of interest in it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> thank you very much for the update. So unless your board has further questions, we do public comment and then do the wrap-up. Okay. Let me just see. Any further questions? Just All right. Great. Let's go to public comment now. Uh, if there's anyone in the chambers, I'm not seeing anyone. Uh, yes, John. And then we'll go online. Hello, supervisors. Thank you for the opportunity to speak on this. Um, there were a couple of mentions in the past uh, very uh, edifying uh, presentation on the new county website of uh, plain language and accessibility. And in terms of uh, what those mean specifically in the context of disability, where those uh, terms had their technical meanings coined, uh, they do mean somewhat different things than they do in common parlance. Um, Plain language to you or I might be something in the way that I'm speaking right now, trying to keep my language just to the point and say exactly what I mean. In the technical sense of accessibility for people with IDD, we're talking about aiming for a sixth grade reading level or below for anything and boiling down central concepts uh, to their most essential form so that there isn't long pages of reading, it takes someone maybe a couple minutes, and again, they don't have to rely on a caretaker or other adult to um, translate those, those services for them. They can get that information for themselves and make decisions on their own behalf as much as possible. Um, it would also be fantastic to see, as the website gets rolled out, a policy of ensuring that any resource that is up there is posted in a format that is accessible to uh, document readers for people with visual impairments. That's not universal across county services at the moment, and we hear a lot about people who use document readers who struggle to access uh, some services because a document they were sent or a site or a resource isn't engaging with their screen reader in the way that they need it to. Uh, thank you for your time and attention. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Okay, let's go online. I see we have one commenter at this point. Yep, two.
Bear with us one moment. We're having technical difficulty. One second. Rodrigo, we're not hearing you, so give us a moment. We're still not hearing you, Rodrigo. I'm sorry. Just uh, bear with us. One, two, one, two. Now you're. Now we're here. Hi. We one, can. Two, yep. One, two, three. We can hear we're you. We're good. We're good. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Let me repeat myself. I'm, I'm going to talk about what happened yesterday with uh, in regards to Dr. Willis and his presentation that he left out very key information that pertains to the uh, under representative representative of the county, and that is the the opioid crisis. And I, I mentioned that there is such that uh, County Marin is number one is suicide by opioid. And I wanted to talk about, and he would not break down as to where the deaths are occurring. And I want to go over the fact that uh, right now, the, the deaths that are occurring are occurring in jails, assisted living, and home, and in also particular areas. And particular areas are San Rafael since, 19, since 2018 to date. In San Rafael, there have been 389 deaths. In Novato, there have been 216 deaths. And also per per and also San Quentin has 55 deaths. Uh, you have Belinda's as number two. You have uh, very strangely you have uh, Mill Valley has 76 deaths. You have Sausalito has 50 deaths. So in other words, you're these are particular places that have in a way affluent ghettos. So that is what something that. McLaren and Dr. Willis omitted, and also you as the Board of Supervisors did not uh, pick up on and actually decided to overlook by asking other questions that have nothing to do with the fact that who is actually suffering all these uh, deaths, and that is San Rafael, the canal area, and and so and and Novato, South, South Novato, so Lucan, uh, uh, Rodoni, um, I'm sorry, Madam uh, President, uh, Peters, but, uh, but also Mill Valley, which takes in Sausalito. So in a way, you're, these people are the ones who are, are paying for it and uh, are suffering, and those are the ones that need accommodations. So in a way, also, you know, quickly, uh, the county, the, the, the underrepresented areas, they need Zoom. So think about that when you're talking about you're improving the uh, online sites. Thank you. The next speaker is Eva, please unmute. Um, thanks, I wanted to support the concerns raised by Mr. Izquierdo. I've spent a lot of time trying to document the county coroner records uh, because I noticed that in county meetings and in local media, there was consistent misreporting about causes of death, all of which has yet to be corrected, the, the, the misreportings that I've noted. Um, and 
the first thing I realized when I went to the county coroner and looked at the records was how unusually they're archived. Even though deaths are a matter of public record, the county coroner has never digitized these records for the public. So you actually have to show up in person and ask for these very archaic binders, which are all handwritten. And often there are discrepancies in use of whiteout to obscure or change details. In some ways, the big paper book is a positive because we can see where things have been edited. But these um, archives should be complemented by a digital record available online so that when Dr. Willis says there are this many overdose deaths, the public is actually able to confirm whether he's bullshitting or not. I mean, to, to you know, use a term that whatever. But it's because there's a, there's a political purpose to hyping the number of overdose deaths. Um, and I would also uh, point out that there, have been, there was legislation that aimed to uh, take the coroner's uh, office out of the control of the sheriff. And that, there's a pretty obvious reason for that. And I think it's, it's problematic that Dr. Willis hasn't uh, addressed that because obviously, you know, they have, th that's a conflict of interest. They should not be in control of the coroner office. And the whole issue of how coroners function in California is pretty egregious to begin with. Um, lastly, I just want to point out that um, I had to CPRA uh, the meetings for the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group. They had, they had 12 meetings totally in private. The public was not allowed to participate or even observe that's egregious and uh, you know, th that's a bad omen for how civilian oversight is gonna be run in this county. Um, I ask that, that the videos, the few videos that they retained, those should not be deleted uh, before, I think they only have four recordings for 12 working group meetings. Thank you, Eva, we're at time. And those should be preserved, thank you. Mm -hmm. Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you, Matthew, we'll bring it back to you and to Liza for some comments. Thank you, uh, Liza Massey, CIO. I want to um, thank the speaker who was asking about plain language and digital accessibility. The county, uh, approximately four years ago, created a position and started a, a digital accessibility program. The program manager is in my department, and we now have three additional employees working on digital accessibility, and they're very much a part of this project. And uh, they are the last gate before pages roll out, <laughs> just so you know. Um, so just to answer some specifically, we are, in terms of plain language, not just using that. We're using recognized standards such as uh, making sure the language is for a lower uh, grade reading level, such as fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, simple sentence structure, active sentences. Um, and so uh, that, that is what we mean by plain language, and there are other things. We also, for screen readers and, and accessibility um, tools, uh, we are following, and, I, and someone wrote it down for me, but I would just tell you WCAG, which is Web Contact, a web content accessibility guidelines. And so we are following uh, best practices there. Our translation services, we've had help with that so that they have greater accuracy. So we've taken this very seriously and it's woven throughout the um, website. And I will tell you that I mentioned PDFs. A lot of us know, you know, they're files that you can't change. We were actually trying to get rid of them to the extent possible. So you'll see that content following all these standards on the pages 
available to screen readers so that um, people do not have to open a PDF and then their screen reader doesn't work. So this is very serious. As someone who has really poor vision and uses readers and uh, talks to my computers and phone, um, I really appreciate this kind of assistive, you know, understanding this kind of assistive technology so that anyone with any, um, you know, different ability is able to use our website. Thank you. All right, well, so this is the point of wrap-up, and um, having done this a few years, um, this is usually the time when the board reminds me how long these uh, workshops have been, and so I think you're just over 10 hours this week on our informational budget workshop, so thank you for your attention, and I, I will say it really does help us to you know, present these information uh, items of what we're developing in the budget, get your feedback to make sure we come up with a thoughtful budget that's consistent with your priorities. So thanks for your attention. So with that in mind, I just wanted to go up, go through some follow-up items uh, based on the discussions over the last three days. Um, I wanted to start off with the uh, funding for IHSS workers being part of our proposed budget. And that's really twofold. That's one regarding the living wage, but I also would point out that uh, IHSS has uh, obligations to, to negotiate with their represented employees, and so we are tangentially part of that effort as well. Um, and, and obviously the living wage is broader than just IHSS workers. Um, but we'll be working on that um, over the next few months and coming back with a recommendation in June. Uh, we'll be working with uh, Health and Human Services around the um, initiatives consistent with the Aging Action Study that was recently done um, and coming back with recommendations on that. As I mentioned on Monday, uh, we would be looking, we're coming back to the board in um, probably it would be late April, early May with options around the 1185 um, Committee for Civilian Oversight. Um, and, but we would likely be considering additional funding. For, for example, if we had an inspector general position, that would take more funding than currently is uh, in the budget. Uh, we have met with CAM regarding their funding requests, and we'll follow up on that. Uh, we had a meeting last week with uh, the Director of Health and Human Services as well as our Racial Equity Director to see if there are services that could complement our existing efforts um, going forward. Uh, we will be working with human resources and our unions to um, explore the the option of adding reimbursement for dependent care uh, for our county employees uh, for the next shooting for the next open enrollment period as a, a target date um, we'll be working with dpw to come back to your board in june with a more specific pro proposal around civic center campus improvements accelerated maintenance and modernization of our, of our facilities and that would be inclusive of the VMA, the Veterans Memorial, Memorial Auditorium. Boy, <laughs> that was a mouthful. Um, and then uh, consistent with what we presented to you on Monday, we'll be coming back to you to allocate the next round of the climate change investments, so $1.9 million for the next round, and then we will keep the $1.1 million available for a leverage fund uh, for future projects. 
will be working with the board subcommittee on the sea level rise organizational study to talk about how do we best address sea level rise as an organization going forward. Um, we'll be working on um, entering into a contract to initiate the communications plan and working with the board on the results of that communications plan. Um, you know, based on the feedback we received, we will be including in the proposed budget the the new financial policy to allocate $25 million over the next five years for the Affordable Housing Trust to help implement the recently adopted uh, housing element. We'll be working with HHS to reflect the OD Marin implementation plan um, based on the settlement dollars as a cost-covered BCP or a budget change proposal. Um, as far as one-time money, we'll be considering a county workforce housing reserve. Um, we will be, given the state budget risk, consider the additional adding to the state budget reserve. Um, and we will also be looking to add to the community infrastructure fund that's currently $400,000, adding additional dollars to that. Um, as we talked about on Tuesday, we'll be reviewing, working with the Affordable Housing Subcommittee to review the guidelines around the uses of the Affordable Housing Trust and setting priorities. Um, we will also be working with the Housing uh, Homeless uh, Committee on this uh, homeless planning refresh effort uh, and figure out a way to include uh, all our stakeholders in that discussion. Um, and then, uh, consistent with the discussion with the parks, over the next few months, we will be bringing fee proposals uh, forward to you uh, with a twofold goal. One is to keep costs with the pace of doing providing business, so our cost of living adjustments, as well as applying the uh, racial equity lens, and so such as reducing those uh, parks fees. And then with uh, the departments behind me, we will uh, just also point out we'll be reviewing various uh, one-time uh, budget change proposal requests that the departments have submitted to us as well. Thank you very much. So now it's time for uh, supervisors to make their final comments and add in anything that Matthew didn't capture just now. Uh, so I'm going to start with uh, Vice President Rodoni. Thank you, President Moulton-Peters. Um, First of all, I just want to comment, it's nice to see so many department heads in the audience today, and I'm sure there are others are watching online, um, tuning into our every word to see what we're going to say this year. <laughs> but uh, I think Matthew had a good summary. But I think one of the things that struck out for me this year, we've talked a lot about our priorities, providing housing for homeless, preserving existing affordable housing, reorganization of the OEM, making equity part of our internal and exterior, ex external work, identifying projects and funding for climate change projects, continue to invest and prepare in our facilities improvements, prioritizing our workforce with new contracts, bonuses, and retention. According to the my back of the envelope figuring, I think we've invested over $100 million in these priorities, including about $10 million of ongoing funding that will be required. So as you can see, priorities do matter, and I think they're significant, and I appreciate the support of departments in the priorities that we've identified. I'm also looking forward to 
seeing the new resident survey that Jennifer is working on because that will lead us to maybe some new priorities or certainly um, looking at priorities we have if they need to continue. You know, we, we have a balanced budget and fortunate to have one-time spending opportunities, which is a credit to our fiscal decisions and prudent approaches. Keeping and building reserves make good sense to me. Also, I think in the future, because we have so many demands around facilities, affordable housing, climate change, and even early child care, we maybe need to figure out how we can bond these things in the future and maybe package something. Um, I agree with most of all of Matthew's rec budget recommendations. You know, just to reinforce a couple, um, I really think the $18 an hour that I have proposed for IHSS and living wage is really important or more for us to go to. Um, but I also think the comparable minimum wage in our county is really an important messaging that I'd like to see wrapped up with that uh, living wage. I think they need to be comparable if we're really talking about equity and being somewhat equal in this county. Uh, we can't have two different wage, uh, um, wages set at different rates. I think they should match going forward. So I hope staff will continue to work on those, both of those things. Um, I would like in a couple general budget requests, we've been providing a half million dollars for nonprofit grants. We have two programs, $250,000 to each. Uh, with COVID funds, and the reason for that was our nonprofits were struggling during COVID, and I think they continued the struggle. So I'd like to request that we look at putting an additional year of that funding together for our two nonprofit grant programs. I also think that um, we need to put some more money, perhaps about $600,000 in our community facilities fund. This is the fund that um, supports our communities in facility improvements, I think it's a 20 maximum 20% match, and it's a great fund to have available and a great incentive for our community to make improvements. A couple, um, I wanted to comment on the housing subcommittee that will be looking at changing how housing trust dollars might, might be changed. And I really recommend, I started this discussion when I was on the subcommittee, $50,000 the door just doesn't make it any longer. And so we really need, hopefully, we look at that number and see if we can raise that number. We already know it's $900,000 to build an affordable unit uh, in Marin. If we're really seriously going to provide a subsidy, $50,000 a door probably doesn't do it anymore. It was good when it was first developed, but I believe that needs to be doubled probably to $100,000 a door. Um, a couple specific requests uh, for D4, something that you haven't heard of before. But I just want to remind the public and the board that the transit occupancy tax provides about $7 million a year into our general fund. 80% of that, or about $6 million, comes from West Marin or D4. Um, so I'd like to have your support to work with the CAO's, CAO's office to look for some additional funding out of the general fund for specifically D4. I have two projects I'm looking at. One is a match for uh, North Marin Water District for a well resiliency project in West Marin, and they're looking for $250,000 a year over two years, and the district will match the county's contribution. The other item that you've heard probably from me before is that visitor infrastructure and services in West Marin has been really a limited investment by the county, 
I have presented a 10-year, $10, $10 million budget visitor infrastructure needs to the CAO's office and also to state and federal partners trying to generate that kind of money because the need is there. I'm asking the board to support me in working with the CAO's office to fund an additional half million dollars this year in West Marin visitor infrastructure. And um, I think it's important that we continue to invest in our visitor infrastructure and certainly the infrastructure needs it based on my, my, uh, my plan for the next 10 years, which I said involves about $10 million of, of need. Um, thanks to staff, especially the budget team and department heads for continuing to support our communities and obviously our priorities. At the end of the day, our progress is me measured on how well we provide our services to all our residents and meet our needs of our low-income communities. Opportunities for change continuing beyond COVID is necessary to be successful in our priorities. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Rice, I'm going to go to you. All right. Uh, thank you. And um, I won't be quite as organized, but I'll try to be brief, but I don't promise either. Um, first of all, I just wanted to, um, Matthew, always thank you and your team, but frankly, you maybe have the easy job um, because you're not actually out there in the field. So I want to thank all of our employees who are out there in the field delivering services. Um, you have all of us who are stuck in big pink behind you and supporting you, but um, I really appreciate um, the work that get, goes on, whether it's our um, case managers working with our homeless population, our roads crew out um, during these storms, and, and you know our emergency responders, everybody. Um, so thank you. Um, I really want to call out um, and thank our friends from... Um, from Independent Living Center for participating in the public comment um, this workshop. And, and you, you, you are here at other times, but I just uh, really have appreciated elevating uh, the call-outs for where we're missing it uh, for our folks with uh, disabilities or challenges that we don't always recognize and doing so in a way um, that helps us then focus on what's a solution and even providing suggestions. So really thank you for that. And then all the speakers that came from MOC talking about um, the important work of our caregivers out in the community and, and that is a huge challenge. Um, I'm supportive of us moving forward with some, with some um, uh, increases in that living wage. Um, I, that doesn't, that, that won't necessarily, it's not going to fix the problem. Um, and I do, I would like to think a little bit more about, uh, some sort of task force and, or concerted work to really strategizing on what those needs are going to be going forward and to what degree, what role we can play, the county can and county dollars towards addressing that role. And I, it is not going to be an easy nut to, to crack. Um, let's see, I... The, in terms of the list of things that you went over, Matthew, I'm on, on board um, with everything. Um, I also agree with Dennis around adding the importance of adding to or continuing the fund for the community partnership funds. Um, there's still recovery happening. Uh, we rely so much on our nonprofits to do a lot of lifting out in the community that either is uh, uh, links up, syncs up, um, 
partners exactly with what our mandates are and missions are, and then fill the gaps on, on where we can't. So I think that's super important. Um, I don't recall, I don't think we spoke about it, and I'm sorry if I missed it in, the, in your uh, book, um, the importance of staying focused on telecom resiliency or telecommunications and grid and that's more legislative work and also with the Office of Emergency Management. Is that what it's called? Yep. Um, I don't want to lose focus of that. And I also think this most recent uh, slide on the Redwood, on Redwood Road, Redwood Highway, uh, actually um, raised for me something I hadn't thought about, and that was about a potential vulnerability of our natural gas supply, which I know we want to get off of, but we're not going to be for a very long time. But um, I think that's something that probably, um, when you guys do your circle back on this event, uh, is, is that something that we think about going forward in terms of working with PG&E, or at least understanding that better and those vulnerabilities. I also, um, we've talked about the storm damage, um, in terms of immediate recovery, and then I'm sure with the emergency declarations, there will be much storm damage um, that will be potentially reimbursable um, on sort of the major events. But I was also thinking about it in terms of um, the sort of the lower level, pothole level acceleration of deterioration that this winter storm may have, may mean to our roadways and what that might mean towards needing to um, enhance or uh, beef up what our investment in roads looks like going forward more than what we might have thought. So I'd love to talk to Rosemary about that, but I think it's something that we might want to um, try to um, get ahead of. Um, let's see. I think... Oh, um, I did want to um, on, on agree with, with Dennis on the importance of fleshing out the community facilities fund, making sure that that is robust. I have spoken with you, Matthew, and I think this board around my concerns around um, the Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center and possible investment that's going to need to be made in that very important um, provider of child care and early childhood education and after school care for our, some of our lowest income families and potentially um, there will there that could be there could be a need for some facility improvements upgrades I'm sure there are or an investment otherwise so whether it comes out of something like that or could be tapped I, I just want to make sure that stays on our radar um, I think we'll be hearing more about in that in the future and then I think that is just about it. Um, lastly, this is year two, right, of a two-year planning period, and it continues um, to, we, we're seeking to be responsive to those community priorities and board priorities that were identified during, during that community survey of 2018-19, and, and I, I think we're very much on track. Um, and then we're doing this new community survey coming up, uh, and, and I'm assuming there will continue to be probably some overlap and alignment, and there may be some new things that come up. But ultimately, I, 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 I think it's really important that that survey does inform what we do. Um, and then I, 
always want to make sure that we're staying focused, whether whatever point in a budget cycle we are, around the sort of different um, areas of our responsibility as county government. There's the municipal service part, and I think a lot of residents focus on that, the typical. There's our safety net service function, which is unique to the county, which we invest a lot of discretionary dollars in, in to, towards beefing, beefing up services. And then there's our sort of um, more regional opportunities that I think um, are really coming to the forefront, um, whether it's around climate change and sea level rise and our wildfire, emergency preparedness work, but the county really does play an important role, either as a convener or an organizer um, and oftentimes an implementer. And I think that that's, um, that's what we're having to focus on, and, and the housing piece as well. So I just... Um, not saying this very well, but we have a lot of responsibilities that falls into different buckets, and we don't we don't have as much discretionary money I think as we would like to have. We use that discretionary money I think really well towards addressing our responsibilities, and the 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 thing I think we do really well is using that those discretionary funds to leverage outside funding, and I think that's really going to be key, and that's why I um, want to follow up with you, Matthew, and uh, Sarah Jones from CDA on um, potentially seeing if I brought up this EV, EV infrastructure grant program coming out of the federal government that is, um, needs, needs a home, but I also think it is probably going to be a very typical type of model for us going forward as we look at what is the county's role in addressing these issues that are large, that cross borders and um, um, have to be addressed outside of where we typically have revenue. And there's going to be money coming down in the areas of climate change. And I think that we need to step up wherever we can to be able to grab it and then work with our partners across the county to make sure um, that it is put to good and a good use. So thank you very much. Can't wait till June. <laughs> Great. Supervisor Sackett. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Josh, our budget director, um, for a great set of information and budget book. I really appreciate it. And to um, the entire CAO team, I think we're lucky to be in this position where we have a balanced budget. We aren't, you know, looking. We've had an unpredictable economic picture for the last couple years, and, and just gratitude for the planning that's been going on for many years to put us in this place. Um, and, you know, always looking to reserve so that we are in the right. It makes our job much easier, frankly, when we have that financial picture. So thank you. Um, you know, it, it, sort of my core values are, are communication and transportation. Or, or, I'm sorry, <laughs> communication and transparency and making good decisions and having that information in order to make good decisions. So... I think we saw a lot today, um, over the last couple days about the data that we have and how we access that and just want to continue to leverage and utilize that data and, and have departments share that data with us so that we can make good decisions. Um, and again, reiterating that, that it doesn't always have to be the good data, that we um, want to see what isn't working so that we can refocus or reframe when when you know our assumptions don't prove um, don't get us the results that we had thought they would do. Um, so to that 
that um, point, I, communication, I'm so excited about this website and seeing each of the um, department's work plans, communication did come up quite a bit. And I just wanna, you know, calling on a couple of the work plans in particular, um, language that I think others might wanna copy or emulate. Um, so eggs, egg weights and measures um, had a statement in their work plan about assessing our county, our programs through a racial equity lens by discussing racial equity at staff and program Meet, planning meetings um, and just having so that when we are going out to the public that staff is on board and has that buy-in I think is a really important uh, message so thank you for that um, weights and measures and then um, also so I think probation and the public defender both wrote about the clean slate program and again just a really good piece of language in there that the departments will train staff who are engaged with Clean Slate to identify community member needs or issues that can be addressed by a partner agency during intake and then making meaningful referrals. And again, just thinking of places within our county rather than saying that's you know not my job or my wheelhouse of what are there, what other partners are available that when people walk in one of our doors, we can connect them or refer them to. So I really appreciate that language. Um, I, I'm glad to hear that we're going to come back with something on the aging studies. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good work and a lot of community um, emphasis on that work, and I think it will continue to be a big issue in our community. I, I do think, you know, one of the recommendations from that study was um, training within county government on aging and ableism, and I think that that's important um, to figure out how we do that. And I'm not sure that it requires a third-party consultant, frankly. I think, you know, our Commission on Aging is incredibly robust um, and involved. And so how can we lean on our community members to share with us their experiences navigating our systems and learn from that? Um, so to sort of the specific acts, I appreciate your coming back on the living wage ordinance. Um, I would love to see an analysis of what the dollars are that would re be required for that 10% um, increase over three years and, you know, what other incremental addition we might be able to make to that. Um, I think, you know, the idea that a high school babysitter is making more than our um, in-home care service providers is very real. And, and, and I know that we've got a state funding county match, but just maybe having an option or two that we could look at. Um, I appreciate, Matthew, you working with um, CAM on their anti-poverty request. Um, and also the Marin Child Care Council asked for support and additional funding regarding um, the early childhood programs. And so if you, if you could follow up with them on that. I echo my colleagues on the community service grants. I think there's, there continues to be a significant need there on infrastructure and just revenues coming back and also as we're hearing from our arts community impacted by the VMA. So I think if we can do that for another year, it'd be great. Um, 
so bear with me. I went through <laughs> each. I really appreciated each of the department's work plans. And just a couple quick things I'll point out. So on the assessor recorder county clerk talking a lot about the racial covenants project. And I, um, I did speak with Shelley this morning and just the ask and the request that. So my understanding is we aren't when we see when the um, when they find the racial covenant issue through their mapping exercises, there's no notification going out um, to people about that language that remains in their titles that may have, um, you know, had racial um, implications. And so just a request that that happen. Apparently it is, if somebody walks in the door and asks for a look at their deed, they're notified, but those are people who were just doing basic on mapping in neighborhoods, that information isn't going out. And there may be need to be some support to do that work, but I think that's an incredibly important education tool that will help us with our housing discussions and work. Um, CDA, I would love to learn more and to hear more about what you're thinking on the community option to purchase program. Not sure what that what the what that um, means um, from the CAO's office really happy about our new communications director and our communications strategic plan. I think um, that will benefit everyone. Um, I think continuing to support our boards and commissions, and I know looking at how that retention, that um, selection process happens, but I think there also needs to be some support for them as they transition from online to in-person and, and work through some of that. Um, and then exploring how we continue to work on our economic vitality strategic plan and whether that is with community partners or, or internal staff, um, just continuing to work through how we can participate in that work. Um, Health and Human Services really um, the refresh of the homeless outreach in the homeless um, continuum. I'd like us to do a dive into those um, older adults and those with the complex situations such as dementia, um, bringing some folks together. Let's get creative. Let's see who else we can bring to the table to, to provide potentially other beds and other I mean, I don't see HHS providing uh, memory care, but where can we partner and really support those folks and just get a, a, an idea of what the number is and how we can support. Um, on human resources, we talked about the, um, Christina's willingness to look under the hood, and I think that that needs to be a priority in the next year of the system of hiring what it looks like, who's responsible for what, where, how many times is the ball passed before somebody is brought on board, um, collecting that data um, on exit surveys, and then also really looking at the opportunity for not only exit interviews, but stay interviews. What's that sort of point in somebody's, our typical point in tenure, and having that conversation so that we can see if something needs to adjust to keep people as part of retention. I think retention is, is just something we can do so much better on and really want to see us take a deep dive and, and try to solve for some of that. Um, 
parks. Um, I'd like to see us move forward on this issue between CSA 6 and um, the McGinnis Marsh restoration and try to get that teed up this year on whether or not the beneficial reuse can be put at McGinnis Marsh or, or if we need to look for another option. Um, I'm looking forward to working with Marlin in probation on the juvenile hall working group. Um, I know that won't be easy and there's no easy solutions, but looking forward to doing that. Um, public defender, um, I appreciated the reference in your work plan to doing intake for Medi-Cal um, public def for Medi-Cal for public defender clients and just wanting to know if that extends to defender services clients as well and if there's an opportunity for other enrollment sort of in that package that that can connect with your clients uh, public works <laughs> um, I think first and foremost one of the key things is collaboration with cultural services on this VMA um, work um, seismic work making sure there's really consistent communication and trying to get that project in on time um, because we know that a lot of our community is impacted that impacted um, the Santa Venetia flood wall just getting a project ready um, the paving index um, I really appreciated that presentation uh, and seen in your work plan mentions of vision zero and complete streets uh, and and with that, I haven't asked to either add a position for an active transportation planner or reconfigure somebody for a current vacancy in order to make sure that we are looking at all of our opportunities to close the multimodal infrastructure. And I'll just add, you'll probably hear it over and over again, but that we've got to consider transit in the, all of those projects. Um, any of our, any of our up, um, upgrades or changes, and especially when we think about uh, the addition of new housing. And finally, to the Sheriff's Department, <laughs> um, I really appreciate the mentioning of, you know, continued training and um, throughout your department. I think that is wonderful and appreciated. I just want to give you an appreciation and thanks for collaborating on the 1185 work and um, being a partner and participating with the working group and the community. Um, and you know, I hope we can continue that collaborative nature as we move forward on that project. So with that, um, this has been an incredible learning experience as a new member of the board. I really appreciate seeing the magnitude that each department is working on. Um, there's so much that um, I learned about each department and, and just really appreciate all the work. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Supervisor Lucan. All right. I will keep it brief. Matthew, I think you mentioned we were 10 hours into this, which means we're probably in the 11th hour now, so I will be quick. Um, you know, it's often said that budgets are, are often said that budgets are a reflection of your values, uh, and I think that's very much the case uh, here. It's, it's both a reflection of our values, certainly a, a reflection of our expenditures, but it really holds true. It's a reflection of our values as a county. Uh, and being that this is my first time through it uh, on this side uh, of the dais, uh, I am really impressed with the work uh, that's being done by this organization, you know, a county organization day in and day out by all of our employees uh, to see the updates and the progress that's being made on those uh, a major um, 
uh, fo focal points. Uh, it's, it's really encouraging. We know we have a lot of work ahead, but the commitment to continuous improvement and can, uh, continuing to make an impact in our community is, is really something that I think we should all be proud of. I certainly am proud of the great work uh, that's taking place here and look forward to the years ahead. Um, I think uh, our CAO, Matthew, uh, summed it up very well with uh, the different bullet points and kind of which, which you've heard over these past three days. Uh, I'm not going to go through every single one, but I'll just uh, quickly touch on a couple bullets. Um, definitely supportive of the increased investments in deferred maintenance here at the Civic Center campus, uh, including the VMA, uh, working with uh, Supervisor Rice, uh, looking at how can we take advantage of that closure if there's another capital project we can do at the same time uh, that would be a, a welcome uh, return for the user groups as they come back. I think if, if we could find one, it'd be a worthwhile investment. Um, another p potential one-time investment that I, I'm uh, excited about is this economic sustainability coordinator uh, as a, as a two-year fixed position. Uh, you know, we are still recovering from the pandemic, and a lot of our small and medium-sized businesses uh, are recovering. I think having a liaison in that role here at the county uh, could really help uh, to support the strength of our local economies um, and, and be a great liaison with the uh, economic forum and our small business community. So I'm uh, very supportive of that. Um, Moving over to some of the ongoing um, budget enhancements, uh, the $18, uh, 18 per hour living wage, uh, I think, or as Supervisor Rodoni said, or more. Uh, I'm definitely in support of the or more if we could find a way to make that work, um, both for the living wage and then certainly as we get to the, uh, the IHSS uh, wage, um, knowing that they're uh, related but, but different. Um, and we want to make sure as, as we look at that and as we analyze that, that we are taking advantage of every single dollar we can from both the federal and state match. Um, even if it means we have to pay a little bit more, if we're leaving some, some money on the table in terms of that match, uh, I want to make sure that we're maximizing that to, to the uh, very uh, potential that we can. And more than just hitting a, hitting a number and that being it, uh, really trying to establish a path forward. Um, what does that look like over the next several years? Uh, um, on the retention incentives, uh, the child care, dependent care subsidies, uh, I think that's a really great and a, a worthwhile investment. I think when we're also talking about incentives that benefit our employees, uh, we'd like to look at how can we incentivize uh, the return back uh, to, to the workplace. Um, and some of that is uh, with uh, placemaking, uh, places for employees to gather, sometimes over food. Um, you know, I, we know that we used to have a, a full cafeteria at one point. I'm not suggesting we go right back to that model, but I think, do think there are ways that we could uh, incentivize, um, you know, coming come to the office, creating a place for people to gather, um, and oftentimes that is around food, and I think we can get really creative with that, whether that's, you know, food trucks or things in the morning, bagels, coffees, whatever it is. Uh, I, I do think as, as one of the major employer, the major employer in the county, uh, we don't have to be these big tech companies and bring in our own personal personal chefs and all that, but uh, all that would be great. Uh, but I do think that we could learn, there are things that we could learn from the private sector in this in, in making it uh, a more place to gather. And I, I think as people are coming back after COVID, uh, we all could use a little more social gathering uh, amongst ourselves. It makes for a better workplace. Um, uh, quickly switching to a District 5 topic, I uh, was really pleased to uh, hear about the work that uh, we're starting on Binford Road um, in Novato, uh, a one full-time uh, employee that will be focused on that also um, as we're pursuing these encampment resolution fund grants um, and uh, very, very um, hopeful that we will be uh, successful in those. But if for whatever reason we are not successful, I want to make sure that we have a little bit of uh, 
a local flexi flexibility within our budget to continue to um, make that area uh, safer for the community, both for the residents and the nearby businesses. Um, and then uh, we also had the request from Community Action of Marin. Um, curious to learn a little bit more about that, uh, how that would tie in and really complement some of the work uh, that we're doing um, around advancing equity um, and kind of seeing how those, how what they're proposing could really be a collaboration and complement the work that we're doing. So we'd like to learn more on that. Um, and I think that mostly covers it. Well, one, I'll just kind of as a closing thought, um, not for, for this budget cycle, but maybe for the future. Uh, I do think as a county, uh, we do have a greater role to play with regards to access uh, to quality, affordable childcare. Um, I don't exactly know what that role is. Uh, I don't exactly know um, what the costs are. Uh, it's something that I'm committed to really trying to learn and to understand uh, here in our county. Um, so I'm not making a specific request in this budget cycle, but uh, as we continue to research this issue and understand this issue, I just wanted to plant that seed uh, for the future um, because I do think we, we play a very important role uh, in that in this county. So um, I think that covers all things that I wanted to call out. Uh, thank you to all of the teams, uh, county staff, um, uh, to getting us to this point. It's uh, really exciting to see where we're going. Thank you. All right. I will wrap up, too. I, I want to thank the county administrator, your entire team, Josh, and all the departments in this room uh, the, the, for all the work that's gone into your budget, your work plans, and the presentations. Uh, you know, clearly you're, you're striking a balance with competing priorities and uh, com competing interests in five different supervisors, uh, and I think you're doing it very well. And I would, I would observe that after two or three very challenging years with COVID, uh, that things are returning back to normal and we can put the focus back on uh, county business uh, the way we'd like to. And I really am seeing all the departments move forward on initiatives that are either have been in your things to do list or are things that you have initiated in the last couple of years. So I wanna uh, thank everyone for picking up the ball now and, and sort of getting back to a more regular business. I think the department work plans align very well with the six broad uh, Board of Supervisors initiatives and priorities and our commitment to equity, environment, and the economy. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that I'm very pleased to see that all of the department work plans include initiatives to further our race equity work, to modernize and streamline county operations, to focus on our customers and create more user-friendly and accessible services to increase our transparency and communications and community engagement, uh, and, and just to really um, move forward with the work we're doing in, in kind of a new and streamlined way. Um, I, I want to uh, particularly appreciate the significant resources that the county has made available in various different ways, both to Marin City and also to the Richardson Bay Anchor Out community. Uh, I started, uh, looking at what has transpired over the last uh, few years for these communities and all of the departments that I was gonna give a shout out to to thank you. But it's really all of you that have come in as partners, uh, the library, cultural services, the clean slate team, CDA, public works, parks, the CAO's office, uh, and IT, the sheriff and fire, you've all showed up in these communities uh, that have really needed the extra attention. So I, I sincerely thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for moving the dial forward to serve these communities. Uh, 
I want to acknowledge the work that we're doing in flooding, uh, and thank you, Rosemary, in both Marin City and Tam Valley. These are intractable flooding issues, uh, but we are making progress, and I'm confident that we'll really move the needle in the next couple of years. Um, and climate change and sea level rise, a huge lift. We are beginning to give some shape to that, thanks to the two departments, uh, three, really, that are all involved in that. I look forward to the progress. Uh, I want to appreciate the Southern Marin Hub, uh, Benita, that you have been working so dis per persistently on, and your willingness to share it with other departments. But I, real, I uh, just as uh, Supervisor Rodoni has been pushing for bringing services to the different geographic areas, I, I thank you and Matthew for working to bring service to where people are in Southern Marin. It's really important. Um, I want to acknowledge and give a shout out to Public Works for your desire to do Vision Zero work and the speed, uh, the assessment of speeds to make our communities more walkable and bikeable. This is something we have to do along with transit uh, if we're going to put the housing in that we, that we need and want to do. I do want to put on your list, Rosemary, the parking study for Tam Valley uh, Business District along Shoreline. Just uh, that, that's something that I think needs some attention. Uh, and then finally, I add with my colleagues' support for uh, looking more closely at our Aging Action Initiative and for our living wage uh, increases. I think these are areas that will benefit from additional focus and attention. And with that, I want to thank everyone for the marathon <laughs> and all the hard work and look forward to working with you. I know we all do, and we'll be back in here in June to firm it up. Thank you very much. We are adjourned. <laughs>